Welcome to In Conversation. I'm Max Maldonado. In Conversation features Dean Michael Horswell and faculty from Florida Atlantic University's Dorothy F. Schmidt College of Arts and Letters, talking about research and creative activities that span the arts, humanities, and social sciences. In today's modern society, medical practices have become synonymous with state-of-the-art lab equipment and medications. But Dr. Mary Cameron's interest in natural healing has led her across South Asia, particularly Nepal, where natural medicinal practices known as Ayurveda are still in use. It's a non-pathogenic model, we could say. The model in modern medicine is primarily a pathogenic kind of model that adjusts problems in the human body by way of primarily biochemistry, let's say, you know, the taking of medicine that will cause a change. But as I say in the first sentence of my book, the plants heal in Ayurvedic medicine, not because of biochemistry, but because they share qualities with humans that when consumed can adjust for the kinds of symptoms that illness produces in humans. Cameron is a full professor in FAU's Department of Anthropology. Her studies of natural medicine have spanned more than three decades. Her latest book, Three Fruits, Nepali Ayurvedic Doctors on Health, Nature, and Social Change, was published in 2019. And Dr. Cameron is our guest for this edition of In Conversation. She sat down with Dean Horswell in December of 2019. Thank you, Dr. Mary Cameron, for joining me today in conversation. Thank you for having me. So one thing I'm so proud of here in the College of Arts and Letters is the international reach and impact our scholars have in so many different places in the world. And your research is focused on Nepal and the Himalayas. And I was wondering, how did you first get interested in Nepal as a site for your research? Well, I first went to Nepal as a Peace Corps volunteer after graduating from college with Bachelor of Science degree in biology. And I went there as a mathematics and science teacher and spent just over two years teaching in a, as we might say, a remote area in what is designated as the far western region of the country. And there I taught mathematics and science. And after returning to the United States and spending a couple of years as a high school science teacher in Albany, New York, I went to graduate school to study medical anthropology. I sort of had a conversion experience from being a scientist to becoming interested in the relevance of culture in people's lives. And I returned to the same community that I was a Peace Corps volunteer in to conduct some pre-dissertation research the summer after my first year in graduate school and have continued working in primarily that area, but also now in Kathmandu and other regions of South Asia. Mm-hmm. So those experiences, both in the Peace Corps and then later in your dissertation research, is this when you discovered your interest in the medicinal practices of uh, Ayurvedic uh, doctors? Yes, it was. I mean, I went there as a biologist initially, so well-trained in Western science, biomedicine. And yet when I was there as a teacher, I discovered people not using very much biomedicine because it wasn't available, but utilizing plants for curing illnesses. And I also at that time 
encountered, uh, met my first uh, Ayurvedic doctor, or Kabiraj. So I became interested in the things that he did, and he would give people plant medicines that were mostly in the form of powders. And so I became interested in this other kind of healthcare system. From there, when I went to graduate school, I went specifically to a program that was a doctoral program nationally known for medical anthropology. So that helped me to kind of combine my background in biology with my interest in the cultural role in illness and health with a particular emphasis initially on infant mortality rates, which Nepal suffered from having very high infant mortality rates. Hmm. So how does Ayurvedic medicine differ from the so-called Western medicine? You'll have to read the book. Exactly. (laughs) Um, The main way that it differs is in the theoretical framework that it uses to diagnose illness and treat illness. The symptoms of an illness are classified in a way that looks at what they call the qualities of those symptoms, what are called the guna. There are approximately 20 different qualities that one can observe in a symptom. For example, heat or cold or sharp or dull. So those symptoms are understood to correlate to the qualities that plants have. And one can alleviate the symptoms by selecting plants that, and dietary changes as well, that will cause the symptoms to subside. So it's a non-pathogenic model, we could say. The model in modern medicine is primarily a pathogenic kind of model that adjusts problems in the human body by way of primarily biochemistry, let's say, you know, the taking of medicine that will cause a change. Um, But as I say in the first sentence of my book, the plants heal in Ayurvedic medicine not because of biochemistry, but because they share qualities with humans that when consumed can adjust for the kinds of symptoms that illness produces in in humans. That's fascinating. So you, you named your book Three Fruits, Nepali Ayurvedic Doctors on Health, Nature, and Social Change. I was curious, why three fruits? What's the significance of that? Three fruits is a translation of the word trifala, and trifala means three fruits. Mm -hmm. And it's also the name for a very common Ayurvedic remedy that is used as a tonic to adjust for digestive problems. It's unique in that many Ayurvedic preparations have 10 or more different plant components to them, but this one's a little more simple, just those three uh, fruits, one of which is gooseberry, amla, and that's what's pictured on the cover Mm -hmm. of the book. And uh, gooseberry is known to be very, very high in vitamin C. And all three of these fruits are from trees that are found indigenous to Nepal. So I thought it would point to Ayurvedic medicine itself, and it would point to plants that are indigenous to Nepal, but also symbolize the close relationship that Nepalis have to the plant world. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of your assertions in the book is that Ayurvedic medicine is a cultural system. 
mm-hmm. that informs an individual's life way or habitus, right? Right. I was wondering if you could elaborate on that. That sounds like a complex idea that you explore in the book. Well, that is grounded in what is medical anthropology's main approach to the study of illness and health in other cultures, and that is to approach other medical systems or other human health knowledge systems, both as healing systems, but also cultural systems. And what we mean by that is that it informs how people understand why they get sick and what can heal them. And specifically with Ayurvedic medicine, as a cultural system, what I found, certainly during the 20 years of this research, but even before that, was that the Nepali people have a unique relationship with the plant world. And as I continued with this research, I found that one of the origins of that derives from very old ideas within South Asian philosophy having to do with the person as world, that the person and plants are not different entities, but they are derived from the same five essential elements that Hindus and others in that region understand to be the essential elements of the world, and that that's space, air, fire, water, and earth. So this sort of aligns with a lot of other conceptual systems in Asia, where there's a belief in a a certain inherent uh, essential element. So in South Asia, it's five, and plants and humans are derived from those essential elements, and therefore it sort of informs this system of medicine as well. And so that makes people very conscious of the plant world. It makes them aware of the plants around them, and they have an incredible ability to know what all of these plants are, what their habitats are, what their ecology is like, and then to utilize them when they become sick. And so there's both the professional field of Ayurvedic medicine, which is primarily what the book focuses on, but it's supported by folk medicine, lay medicine, practices that correspond with many of these ideas. Mm -hmm. So it's a cultural system in that it informs how people eat, the kinds of foods that they will eat, the seasons in which they uh, will eat, um, just really how they should be in the biophysical world based on what's healthiest for them. So could you talk a little bit about how you had access to this incredible body of knowledge that you were exploring in your research? What was your methodology? Were you interviewing practitioners, reading old sacred texts? Uh, What was sort of your methodology? All of the above. (laughs) I began the research in about 1997 in a formal sort of way. And the research methodology in anthropology and cultural anthropology and medical anthropology is sort of a subfield of cultural anthropology. And it involved interviewing formally trained Ayurvedic doctors. And the book is primarily about formally trained doctors who go to medical school in Ayurvedic medicine and receive the bachelor's in Ayurvedic medicine and surgery. And then most of the people that comprise the chapters in this book also had advanced 
postgraduate research in India, and so then they receive the MD in Ayurveda. So that's one category. There's basically three categories of people who practice Ayurvedic medicine. There are the formally trained in institutions. There are those who learn through their family lineage. So there are various uh, caste groups in Nepal who are known to be Ayurvedic doctors. And so that's one group, uh, a second group. And the third are really the lay healers who don't necessarily have formal training, but have learned from family members on their own, other learned people. They don't have a degree, but they practice and they are respected as healers because of their reputation. Mm-hmm. So you interviewed all three categories? I of, did, yeah. yes, wow. many of them. And then because this research wanted to orient Ayurvedic medicine in sort of the contemporary period of Nepal, which is a period in which modern medicine is increasingly more dominant. I interviewed many government officials, non-governmental officials, lay people, taxi drivers, students who were studying Ayurveda, basically anybody who would talk in Nepalese. What was very nice, first of all, was that people were very generous with their time and did enjoy talking about Ayurvedic medicine. Mm -hmm. But I think what was also really interesting to me was how everybody could relate to it. Even biomedical doctors themselves used Ayurvedic medicine, or they had a family member who did. They sometimes would prescribe Ayurvedic medicine if they knew about it, or they would recommend a patient to go and see an Ayurvedic doctor. So there was nice correspondence between them. So I interviewed such a variety of people right up to the Minister of Health. Fortunately, mm-hmm. one of my main people that I worked with, Dr. Lokendra Man Singh, was a, a very well-known person in the country, and so he had a lot of good connections. One of the terms of your subtitle is uh, social change. Mm-hmm. And so did you find that these practices are changing as into the contemporary period, or mm-hmm. what, what does that refer to? This? The social change refers primarily to the political change in Nepal. Mm-hmm. It was a monarchy for many centuries, and a Maoist insurgency began around 1996 mm-hmm. and ended in 2006. And I was there for a lot of that period of time. We didn't really recognize that this was a movement that was going to take hold because it was primarily located in rural areas. But by 2000, I recall being in a meeting of educators and healthcare officials where they were making decisions about a curriculum and a new program that they were trying to develop in Ayurvedic medicine in another part of the country. The meeting was all finished and they all started talking about the announcement by the government that morning that they were going to start using the military to fight against the Maoist insurgency. So... At all times, people were very aware of the civil war that was taking place. It finally ended in 2006. The royal family was massacred. One of the brothers took over, and he was eventually overthrown. And now Nepal is the Federal Republic of Nepal after having been the Hindu kingdom of Nepal for so many centuries, really. So it, and what that meant is, of course, that development started coming into the country. And with international development comes modern medicine. So the change that I looked at was primarily the progress of modern medicine within the country and how Ayurveda and its practitioners responded to that. 
But there's also another social change aspect, which has to do with the environment, because all of the Ayurvedic doctors can identify plants very well, and they're very good botanists, and they're very well trained in botany. They also performed an important role in terms of environmental conservation. They worked on conservation development projects as well. So this is what makes the the study so interesting. It bridges medicine and environmental concerns. And that sort of links to global conversations regarding sustainability. So not only is Ayurveda part of the conversation related to alternative medicine, and many people around the world are interested in Ayurveda and utilize it, but also the environmental movement. So it was very interesting. Who is your ideal audience for this book? Who do you hope will read this book? Well, I hope that everybody will read the book. (laughs) It's, um, I wrote the book intentionally for a general readership, for undergraduate students, and for graduate students, and for scholars. So actually, it's a wide range. And I did that because, as I said before, Ayurveda is of interest outside of academia. Mm. There are a lot of people in the United States and Europe and around the world who use Ayurvedic medicine. But no one had written about it for Nepal. There are studies from India. As a teacher, I found that Many of the studies were a bit difficult for undergraduate students and even some graduate students to understand those coming out of India. And so I wanted to make the medical system a little more accessible to explain a bit better what actually Ayurvedic medicine was rather than do a critique of its discourse or something like that. So I spent a lot of time trying to make sure people understood what exactly Ayurvedic medicine was as it was practiced in Nepal. Mm. And then for graduate students working in Asia, again, it's a resource for them because the medical anthropology of Nepal has tended to focus more on traditional medicine along the lines of spiritual healers like shamans. Um, And that's because the ethnography of Nepal has tended to focus on the ethnic minority groups, and they have a greater interest in shamanistic forms of healing than, than other groups might. So I wanted to make sure that the ethnographic record of indigenous medical practices in Nepal was accurate for the work that graduate students do. And then also, um, healthcare development is very important in the country, and I wanted to also better inform those involved in healthcare development about this indigenous medical system that's widely practiced, very popular, and efficacious so as to maybe reduce the reliance on pharmaceutical drugs a bit more because they have proliferated in the country and you can get very strong pharmaceutical drugs without a prescription quite easily. Mm. And so I wanted to sort of make people better aware, write a book that would make development officials better aware of this indigenous practice. Well, it's a fascinating study, and I congratulate you on this 20 years of work that you put into the book. So, Dr. Cameron, do you have any new projects you'd like to share with us that you're starting to work on after putting this one to bed? 
I'm working on something, a third book, tentatively titled Trading Health. And that um, is based on research on the trade in medicinal plants from the Himalayan region Mm -hmm. to the other South Asian countries, particularly Bangladesh, India, and Sri Lanka. I had a research grant to look at some of these issues. So the trade in health resources that are plant-based is a project that I hope to finish up. The research is completed. I just need to write the book. Okay, great. Well, we'll have you back for another episode of In Conversation when that book is completed. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to Dr. Mary Cameron and Dean Michael Horswell of FAU's Dorothy F. Schmidt College of Arts and Letters In Conversation. They were recorded in December of 2019. In Conversation is a production of FAU's School of Communication and Multimedia Studies. I'm Max Maldonado. All of us thank you for listening, and we invite you to join us for another edition of In Conversation.